Hey everyone, it's Miranda. I'm really pleased to present today's interview with Barbara Heffernan on the subject of EMDR as an effective non-invasive treatment. I start out our discussion talking a little bit about my own, albeit limited, experience being treated with EMDR. Um, And I just want to add that since we recorded this episode over a month ago, the emotional reactions that I was having, which led me to use EMDR in this case, have gradually morphed and improved even more since we talked. I also understand after talking with Barbara that my experience was probably enhanced because of the deep level of safety I feel with my therapist, who is also my EMDR practitioner. So now let's shift gears a bit. I want to take a moment today to say that I support Black Lives Matter and the worldwide protest movement against systematic Black oppression. I feel that we all have an obligation as humans to take a stand against injustice, and the wide recognition of this movement is long overdue. So is the participation of the country, including and especially white people like me. Most people probably don't realize that social workers like myself are trained not just to be mental health practitioners and administrators, but also to be present and responsible in our communities, to stand up for marginalized groups and against injustice. It's just kind of in our professional DNA. And one of my goals as the creator of the Second Wound platform has been to reach and be available to sexual violence survivors who are black, indigenous, and people of color who are at a much higher risk of sexual violence and at the same time, sadly, do not get the level of support they need and deserve from mainstream resources or even public attitudes. But despite my intentions, I have not done a great job of reaching followers across racial lines. I will admit right here that I can make a bigger effort and I am going to put more attention on this. While it is my responsibility to reach out, I am also open to your emails and comments about what you might want to see more of from me on my platform. So thank you for listening, and now let's get started on this episode. Hello and welcome to Truth and Consequences, a podcast about trauma and its aftermath, where we talk about the difficult and often surprising challenges that affect us in the wake of trauma and other life-altering events. I'm your host, Miranda Pacchiana. I'm a writer and personal coach with a master's in social work and the creator of the website and online platform, The Second Wound, coping with family while healing from abuse or assault. My guest today is Barbara Heffernan. She's a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist with 19 years in practice specializing in anxiety, trauma, and life transitions. She runs a private practice called Mindful Psychotherapy, which began 17 years ago in Norwalk, Connecticut, and is now fully online. And she is a Buddhist with 28 years of meditation experience. Barbara is also an approved EMDR consultant, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. She's here today to mainly talk with me about this proven therapy treatment that has garnered attention for its usefulness in treating trauma as well as other emotional issues. You should know that Barbara has a popular YouTube channel with informational videos on EMDR and other topics related to reducing anxiety and recovering from trauma. Finally, Barbara is the founder of Awaken Joy, a series of online coaching programs designed to, quote, help people transform their lives without spending years in aimless, amorphous therapy. Barbara, welcome to Truth and Consequences. Thank you, Miranda. I'm so pleased to be on your show. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. First, I wanted to mention that I myself have undergone EMDR for issues that I felt stuck on when I was um, dealing with them in therapy. And I not only found it useful, but I was also fascinated by how directly it got me to the core of issues that I couldn't really access through talk therapy alone. So that's part of the reason that I'm really fascinated by EMDR and excited to talk to you about it today. Um, And since our podcast is about coping with trauma and other life challenges, I'm excited for you to bring your knowledge of EMDR and other therapeutic modalities to my listeners. But before we delve into EMDR, I was wondering if you could just talk to us a little bit about the main types of therapy you practice and kind of describe them to us. Sure. So I have specialized for the last 17 years in trauma and anxiety, primarily, And then I also have had a large percentage of my client base has been people going through life transitions, whether that's divorce or career or any kind of major transition that's causing issues. So that's been my specialty. And the, I really use many integrative techniques, but I would say EMDR is my primary conceptual approach, even if I'm not working actively with EMDR processing. And as we talk about EMDR, I can sort of explain what that means. But I would say that EMDR is my main approach to really all of those issues, whether it's anxiety, trauma, or life transitions, because of exactly what you just said, which is that it goes boom to the heart of the issue. Mm, Okay, great. So you, you see a lot of effectiveness in it. Oh, unbelievable. And, and what you described was perfect. That's like the your experience with it, that's exactly what I see when it, you know, with with how it works. And one of the things I love about it is that the client goes there. I never have to say to a client, oh, well, you feel that way because such and such happened to you and da, da, da. Like, I don't have to do Mm -hmm. any of that. EMDR brings the client exactly where they need to go. For me, when I was doing it, um, I have a very strong relationship with my therapist and I had, I'm thinking in particular of one thing that came up that we just couldn't really figure out why it was continuing to come up for me and, and interfere with my life. And we had discussed it and I mean, she's great at usually getting to the heart of these things, but for some reason, we just couldn't quite figure it out. And then, I mean, EMDR was so interesting because whatever it does to tap into your psyche, um, you know, you're asked to kind of rest in between the eye movements and talk about whatever thoughts and feelings are coming up. And I mean, I felt so silly because things, I would just say whatever it was that made no sense to me, right? And she would say, don't censor it, just say whatever you're thinking. And I'm thinking, this can't mean anything. And when we were done, she she kind of strung together everything that I had mentioned and the feelings and the thoughts that came up. And it all just added right up to like, it was all pieces of a puzzle that once we put them in place, we both went, oh, this is what this is about. Right, right. Yeah. And then you asked like what other techniques I bring in. And I do use mm-hmm. a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And I do think that CBT with EMDR is very effective because EMDR helps you make the connections you're talking about. And then it also helps you heal. And one of the key pieces of it is transforming those negative beliefs about the self that develop through 
trauma or difficult experiences so that it's so it's really very healing and then the cbt brings in this concept that to really reinforce the healing and the changes it requires behavior change and moving forward and enacting and moving behaving in a way that reflects these new beliefs about the self Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe you could just even give us a basic description of what cognitive behavioral therapy is for our listeners. Sure. So cognitive behavioral therapy basically says that our thoughts impact how we feel and how we behave. How we behave impacts how we think and how we feel and how we feel impacts how we think and how we behave, right? Like it's all, it all goes together. And people come into my office and they say, Barbara, I don't like the way I feel. I want to change how I feel. And the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy is you can't change how you feel unless you change how you think or how you behave. So the interventions have to come in through either seeing things differently, thinking about them differently, changing how you think, or changing certain behaviors, and then feeling better follows from that. So, yeah, and and CBT tends to be shorter term therapy, very solution focused, and mm-hmm. it can be very effective, except that where we all really get stuck is in those very deep ingrained patterns that probably developed you know before eight years old. So those I, I what I find if you work just purely with CBT, you don't get to the root of what's causing the current day problems. So a combination sure. works really well. Yeah, I think that I think I agree with you. And um, I think CBT is probably what people think of to some extent when they think of talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are fortunately learning more and more that there are a lot of enhancements to that, whether it's working um, on your body and, you know, the way that emotions and trauma can get kind of stuck in your body itself. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. um, all these things together can be super effective. Yeah, yeah. I do think it it requires a combination of techniques. Yeah, I actually um, was interested. I don't know the answer to this, but I was interested in finding out from you what kind of research is behind EMDR and how and its effectiveness. EMDR is one of the kinds of therapy that for whatever reason has been extensively researched. I think that the people who you know, developed it initially were part of research communities. So there's a ton of research on its effectiveness and enough that the World Health Organization has uh, approved that it is one of two recommended treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not a, you know, body that would approve something that doesn't have a lot of research behind it. Uh, Department of Defense also has approved EMDR. So a lot of major national organizations approve EMDR as a treatment mechanism because of the research behind it. That's terrific. It's exciting to hear about a lot of research going into a modality that isn't uh, necessarily going to net anybody a lot of money. That's true. You know, yes. I mean, with yeah. you can get a lot of pharmaceutical trials and things like that, but um, that's refreshing and it's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. That's a very good point because there, there is a ton of research that goes into the pharmaceuticals and less into therapy. But there's a fair amount mm-hmm. with both cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness-based techniques and EMDR. Sure. But another thing I would like to say about the research 
for EMDR, some of the really fascinating stuff that's happening are the brain scans where they are okay. using um, fMRI technology to scan the brain of somebody who's been through a trauma. And when they do that, they see that the amygdala area, the fight, flight, freeze is really, really lit up and other parts of the brain may not be lit up. And after only eight sessions of EMDR, the, what lights up in the brain when the person thinks about the trauma is much more balanced and much more pan, much less panic oriented. So they can oh, actually, okay. yeah. So there's research that's actually demonstrating this. Yeah, that's really solid. Um, so maybe you could walk us through a detailed description of how EMDR works and what a patient could expect to experience. Sure, sure. So the first thing I always like to say about EMDR is that it is a comprehensive psychotherapy technique. It has a lot of elements to it. It's not just the eye movements. So the eye movement piece of it gets a lot of press because it looks kind of weird and, you know, people think it's a little woo-woo or out there, but there's so much more to the process of EMDR. So EMDR basically looks at memory patterns and nodes and patterns in our experience and what core beliefs have developed from those experiences and and then and also so what the experience is like if you first go see an EMDR therapist is probably they'll do a normal assessment of kind of what are your struggles today why are you here you know what's the main thing holding you back and then some history <clears throat> so with the EMDR there is some history taking and an overall conversation, and you want to definitely be comfortable with the therapist. And then typical EMDR protocol would be first to help you walk through a safe place exercise or some kind of exercise to make sure that you can access feelings of physio physiological safety. Because so much of emotional health is about being able to modulate your emotions and we learn best when we can be in a reasonably modulated mode and discussing yes. trauma in particular or extremely event upsetting events can so easily put us into a place where we're not emotionally regulated. And like I just talked about that brain scan, you know, the amygdala mm -hmm. is completely lit up. So if I'm working with a client and she's, she or he is going into really almost a panic mode, even in talking to me, there's a need to help the person reset physiologically before we can move forward. And part of the EMDR process overall will be modulating in between bringing up something really upsetting and feeling very upset and then coming back to, okay, I know I'm safe enough here. I'm, I'm in an office, you know, it's, 2020, current mm -hmm. day, I'm grown up now, and then going back into the upsetting memory. So modulating between the two. I would think also that it would be important to feel safe just so that your brain is able to relax enough to bring up these things that are vulnerable. Absolutely. And feeling safe enough with a therapist as well. 
is a key. Yeah, key I was going to all ask trauma you, treatment, right? Yeah. I mean, is it necessary to have a prior relationship with the therapist, um, you know, at least establish over several sessions, establish some trust or um, do people go and seek EMDR and just get started on it sometimes? Yeah. So I think it really depends on the issue. So, okay. And the person's background with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, there is often a need for a fairly extended period of time before you do active processing. So it doesn't mean you're not doing EMDR. It just would mean that the active processing piece is delayed. So that is also one reason that we do some kind of safe place exercise because I've had many clients who come into my office and we attempt the safe place exercise and they will let me know I've never felt safe anywhere ever in my life. That is going to be a different course of treatment Mm -hmm. than somebody who basically has good access to feelings of safety, but maybe hasn't felt it in a year because they had a horrible car accident or Mm -hmm. a terrible thing happened to somebody that they love or some major trauma as an adult. However, they have all of these resources of having felt safe, having had safe relationships. So those two mm-hmm. profiles are completely different course of treatment with EMDR. And that's the reason that we start that, the, I mean, this is protocol for all EMDR therapists to start with some kind of safe place exercise to really be able to know on a very tangible basis for both yourself and the client, whether they have access to feelings of safety. And then from that, you can then determine how quickly you jump into the rest of the EMDR processing part, or do you need a more extended period of helping the person resource and gain more feelings of safety, both with you as a therapist, as well as in the world in general. Mm. And that makes sense. Yeah. and, And those resourcing tools that you would use with somebody with complex PTSD, that is EMDR. So sometimes people okay. will come in and they'll be like, well, I'm not doing EMDR. I'm not doing EMDR because we're not doing, you know, the active bilateral processing. And I'll be like, nope, this is EMDR. We are still within the framework of EMDR. I see. So it doesn't have to be the eye movement per se. It's all under the same framework. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So, um, so back to walking us through what the experience is like. You take the background, you work on the... Um, helping the client feel safe. And then what would happen? So then let's say we take a current day example of what is upsetting to you. And I will, I'll actually use an example that came up for me when, uh, with a, with somebody who I was getting trained with. So this was another therapist and we were in the training together and she had a fear of flying. So I went through Mm -hmm. the fear of flying, like, okay, what is the EMDR process to basically say, okay, what is the worst part of that? You know, the door's closing, uh, I'm not in control, etc. What image comes to your mind? What feelings come up in your body when you think about that? So EMDR pulls in that somatic element that you were mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. What feelings come in, both physical feelings and emotional. And as you're imagining that sitting here right now, are you physically experiencing that? And most people will be. Most people, when they bring something up that's upsetting, will have a physiological response in the moment that they're simply thinking about it. Sure. 
And then what's the negative thought about yourself? So for this person, it was, I'm in danger. So Mm -hmm. she was having physiological feelings of panic, heart rate ups, you know, sweating, the thought I'm in danger, the door's closing. So you take that. And then the question is float back. What's the first time you thought about this? And this person, she thought about it for a little while. She floated back and she's like, wow, I have not thought about this memory in years. I don't have any idea if it's connected, but when I was about five, I was playing with a group of kids and I got locked in a small room and they ran away and left me locked in there and I couldn't get out and it was dark. There were no windows and it was cold and damp and she has no idea how long she was locked in there because she was five, right? And Mm -hmm. these kids weren't bullies. They were careless. They didn't know what they were doing, right? And there was no, you know, and she she had minimized it. She remembered the memory and she knew it was an upsetting memory, but she had minimized it because it's not like anybody was particularly trying to abuse her or do anything, but she had the Mm -hmm. physiological response of panic of being locked in a small space and not able to get out. Sure. So EMDR's theory, and when I talk about the framework of EMDR and how we utilize it, even if we don't do the active processing, the theory is that these memories get lodged in the body with the physiological response you had at the time, maybe Mm -hmm. sights, sounds, smells, but not necessarily an entire story, right? So this person did not have a Mm -hmm. whole story of how long she was there. She doesn't remember who rescued her. She doesn't remember why they were playing this game, that this happened. She didn't have the whole story. She had a moment that got extremely lodged in her emotional brain. And then any time that that type of situation was recreated through the rest of her life, she would basically have a panic attack. Can you just clarify what you mean when you say without the whole story? Do you mean that um, it, it wasn't like a complete memory that she was able to connect to it? Right. Right. Okay. She didn't have, it wasn't a linear story. So our long, our long-term memory tends to be story-based. There's a time frame, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. What's actually happening is that you're helping the person move the memory out of the emotional brain where it's lodged and into long-term memory. Okay. Because most traumas get lodged in there with maybe just a smell or a smell with a physiological response. Or mm-hmm. people who've had car accidents, it will be, even car accidents as a child, when they think of them, they'll smell the burning rubber. So sensory yeah. experience with the physiological response and maybe not much else of a story. Yeah, so she wasn't able to even recall it in her memory before that point, let alone know the whole picture and and make a connection and yet emdr was able to just dig it right out and she got there in about seven minutes that's fascinating that's a great example yeah and so uh 
how did that proceed for her? Did it make a difference in her fear of flying? Yes, it did actually. So, I mean, this was just during a training program. So all of what I described happened in probably 10 minutes for her without any active processing. And then we moved into the active processing. And then during the active processing, it actually, she began to have the panic feelings and almost recreating a panic attack. So I called over the trainer, right? Because I was new to this Mm -hmm. too, probably in so I think this was in 2006. So I called the trainer over because I like did not want to put her into a state where she couldn't modulate her emotions, right? And the trainer came over and she's like, this is okay. You know, this is all right. And this is how we did it. And we kind of would do a processing where she would really get those panic feelings up. And then we would modulate back to, okay, you're safe. You're in a training, you're grown up, you're you're here, you can leave the doors open, right? And then go back into Mm -hmm. it. And you go in between those states for a little while until the level of upset drops dramatically. So I would say in a 30 minute session, she probably went from being, if you you ask somebody like on a scale of zero to 10, how upsetting is this memory Mm -hmm. or current day situation, depending on what you're working with. And I'd say she was probably at a 10 and she probably dropped to about a four. Wow. That's, that's a very significant progress. Very significant progress. And, and obviously it was not, you know, it was not an attachment trauma. It was not, you know, there's other traumas that take much more time, but that gives you a very good sense of like how the process goes. So EMDR gets, so in the you know general press, when people talk about EMDR, they talk about the eye movements because that's what people focus on. And then there's also this yes. belief that EMDR is very short-term therapy. And what I always like to tell people is this really depends. If you had a really good childhood, decent adolescent years, you know, okay, young adulthood, and then you have a trauma, Mm -hmm. yes, this will be a short course of treatment. I see. That makes sense. So I I worked with a woman who had that kind of background, which honestly, I don't see that often. If that would be. I was going to say, I'd love to meet these people. (laughs) That's more rare than than somebody Uh with a much more complex background. But I did have one client. She she was raped as an adult. And literally, Mm -hmm. in four sessions, all of her post traumatic stress disorder symptoms went away. Wow. She was sleeping Wow, because again. that's such a significant trauma too. Significant trauma, middle-aged, horrible. It was wow. a horrible situation. And yet... Yeah, but that, that's horrible. And yet, yeah, the fact that you could treat her so effectively and so quickly is, is really exciting. It's very... It, yes, it's amazing. Because when she came in, it had been about six months. She had barely been sleeping... She was mm-hmm. having flashbacks. Um, she was hypervigilant. Sure. She was having all of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And within four yes. EMDR sessions, none. Wow. However, so when you refer to... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. No, just I just want to always say, however, that's, that is not necessary. That's not the norm. Okay. Good for people to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you refer to active processing, is that the actual eye movement part of it? Yeah. Okay. Can you describe that? Yeah. So the active processing is bilateral stimulation of the brain. So Mm -hmm. EMDR is named after eye movements 
And the best known is that you follow either the therapist's fingers going back and forth. So basically your mm -hmm. eyes are moving as far to the right as they can and then as far to the left. Or you might be looking at a light bar. I always use a light bar. Okay. Um, so that would be the bilateral stimulation of the eyes. But you also can do bilateral tapping. So mm -hmm. I have also have buzzers that people can hold in their hands and it will buzz from one hand to the next. That's also oh. bilateral stimulation or headphone where you have a sound alternating between oh. ears. So it's not just, it's not necessarily just using the eyes. I didn't know that. Yeah. It can be any one of those three. And generally when I start working with a client, we will test the three different modes using something positive, like the safe place exercise or another positive memory. We'll use the eye movements just to make sure they're comfortable because sometimes the eye movements are very uncomfortable for people or they feel like they can't visualize with their eyes open. So okay. being able to close your eyes and have the tappers is better. Mm -hmm. that makes but sense. again, that's about modulating the person's experience because if it's a very horrific trauma and you close your eyes, it may be mm -hmm. more difficult to do the processing and having sure. your eyes open following the light bar helps you stay more grounded in the present moment. So, you know, it, we're trained, EMDR therapists will be trained to help the client figure out which is the most effective method. And sometimes we will move in between them if needed. Is the... The closing of the eyes, is that more difficult because people will have active flashbacks or is it because it's dark or does it just depend on the person? Primarily, I'd say it depends on the person. Part of the EMDR process, which, which you may have experienced, is to actually visualize what's upsetting you. Mm -hmm. And so some people can do that with no problem while watching the light bar and moving their eyes. Other people can't visualize it and move their eyes at the same time. And then, of course, since most of my clients will have this, some, you know, this worry always about whether they're doing things right or not, which is part of the negative core beliefs, sure. right? So there's sure. always this process of like, there's no right way to do the EMDR. If it does, if the light bar doesn't work or gives you a headache, we can use the tappers. They all, all of the methods of the bilateral stimulation of the brain, in my view, work. I have not seen a dramatic difference if a client okay. can tolerate the, the light bar i will go with that because that's where most of the research is but in my experience using tappers is just as effective mm -hmm. and so what will you be saying to your client like how will you be leading them as you do this so during the active processing stage, the client brings up the image. So I might remind them or help them bring up the image or just prompt them with the questions about what are you feeling physiologically? What are you feeling emotionally? You know, what are you visualizing? And then we do the bilateral stimulation. I'm quiet during it. We pause. I'll just say, what's coming up for you? Generally, I'll ask them to take a deep breath what's coming up for you or what do you notice they'll tell me as much as they want or not they don't actually have mm. to tell me everything that comes into their head or they might just say uh, this is horrible i can't even tell you about it 
and I'll say, okay, let's, can you stay with that? You know, I'll always check in, like, can you keep doing this? Are you okay to keep doing it? And they'll say yes and we'll keep going. Mm -hmm. So they don't actually have to tell me everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Although, although most people at some point will end up feeling comfortable enough to share a lot of it, which I do think can be, can add a healing element yet it's not required which and also so much of trauma in particular is not tied to our language centers Mm -hmm. so when trauma gets lodged in the emotional brain our emotional brain is our mammalian brain it's its language centers are very limited and if the memory hasn't been integrated it might be very hard to verbalize what you're seeing, thinking, and, you know, seeing and feeling. So it's that much harder to dislodge it from your brain through language as well. Right, right. Which I think is why we're seeing so many different trauma modalities come up that don't rely 100% on language. Yeah, we just talked um, in a recent podcast episode about it, somatic experiencing, yeah, uh, which is another fascinating and exciting treatment method. And it's nice that patients with PTSD can come in and address their trauma and their symptoms without necessarily having to walk through the story again and and potentially be re-traumatized by it, um, they can, you know, get directly to the root of it without necessarily having to do that, which is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you give like a, a general average number of sessions or it, it sounds like it really depends a lot on the patient and what they're coming, coming in with, um, but is it four to 10? Is it often 30? Can you give me like a general idea of how many sessions you often will need? Well, complex PTSD, where the person also has significant dissociative symptoms, it's multi-year. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-year treatment. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not we, um, when we're talking weekly. Probably weekly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it sounds like you get some, some significant results. Yes. I mean, I, I always feel like clients should feel significantly better within six months. Like if you're, okay. if you're in therapy and six months have gone by and you're like in the same place in yeah. general, I'd say, okay, let's try a different therapist, try a different therapy technique. You also have experiences like the woman you talked about who had experienced rape where it can be much quicker. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why the person's background really makes a big difference. Um, I'll use a, I'll give a couple of other examples of where I've seen this work and how it works. Some of my colleagues here in Fairfield County, who, some of whom you may know, have worked a lot with first responders and in general, working with the first responders, they find that, you know, two to three sessions can really help maybe not completely resolve PTSD, but dramatically lower the PTSD symptoms. And first responders tend to come in with situations where they've been involved, you know, they've gone into rescue in a traumatic situation and then maybe not been able to rescue the person or not been able to to help, which is their mission in life. So it's current day issues and those can be dramatically helped within a few sessions. 
So I've seen that. Work and why is quickly. that? Do you think? Well, it's very different. If you have, if you've had a child, if you have a trauma as an adult that connects to a trauma that you had in high school, that connects mm-hmm. to a pervasive trauma you experienced as a child, it's just a totally different thing. When we're children, first of all, when we're children, our emotional brain is our primary brain. Mm-hmm. The human cognitive, whatever we want to call the prefrontal cortex, doesn't fully develop until we're between 20 and 25. So the experiences you have as a child are encoded in your emotional brain without access to write that. The prefrontal cortex is kind of our reason, which and our reason says, oh, that was 40 years ago. But the emotional brain says, no, 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 that's panic that's happening now. You know, and, you know, I can see it like with, you know, I I use like my, um, I have an English sheepdog who's afraid of uh, fireworks and he's afraid of thunder and lightning, right? Mm -hmm. So if I talk to him and I say to him, you're perfectly safe, why are you panicking? (laughs) That lightning lightning is four miles away and we can tell because (laughs) I can time the difference between, right? Is that going to help him? That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. So to help my dog during fireworks, I have to like, first of all, I'm not sure I can even help him all that much, but I have to get down mm-hmm. on the floor, hug him, pet him, yeah. physiologically reset. So when we have emotional memories, we can't sit there and say to ourselves, you know, Barbara, that happened 50 years ago now. Why are you still upset about it? Right. And how many times have you yeah. heard that, Miranda? You probably hear that from clients pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I still upset about this? This happened 50 yes. years ago. No, yeah, because it's in your emotional brain. It feels like it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Right. The mammalian brain doesn't understand time, is very focused on pattern and schema more than story. So and that's why I, language can't access that. Right, right, right. So what I see the EMDR process doing is helping us move memories out of our emotional brain and into our long-term memory. So clients will be like, I want to forget this ever happened. Nope, I'm, I can't help you do that. And that would probably require, you know, way too much destructive drugs and alcohol. <laughs> like You can't do that. Um, however, I can help you move it out of the emotional brain where you feel like you're re-experiencing it or it gets triggered very easily, or you don't even know what is being triggered to the long-term memory where you'll be like, okay, I remember that happened and it was well, way more than lousy. It was horrible, but I'm not re-experiencing it. And I know it was a long time ago and I know, I know I'm safe enough now. I'm really interested in treating uh, first responders, especially as a resident of Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had first responders here that saw such, such horrendous things. Yeah. And also couldn't do almost anything to help. And so in a case like that, um, where Obviously, it's not uncommon for first responders to see really traumatic images and be in situations that are really devastating. Um, 
could something like that respond quickly to EMDR or would that take more time? Well, the Sandy Hook situation was so horrendous. Um, yes. That was just so horrendous. And honestly, at the time, I am part of a trauma recovery network in Fairfield County, which mm-hmm. works with first responders and jumps in to help in emergency situations. And when Sandy Hook happened, my kids were elementary school age. Mm-hmm. I could not volunteer at that time to mm-hmm. help people who'd gone through that. However, what mm-hmm. I ended up doing is I ended up helping the therapists who were helping either families or first responders because mm-hmm. the vicarious yeah, traumatization. Trauma. Sure. Yeah. Right, right. And I knew I couldn't jump in to do that because I knew the vicarious traumatization would be too high for me to be effective because of how closely I identified at that time. Yet I was able to help the therapists who were having vicarious traumatization. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had a whole system of um, EMDR. And I I know you know that I do these YouTube videos. I do have a YouTube video on firefighters and EMDR. And one of the firefighters in this area, who's actually married to an EMDR therapist, whose name is Dawn Roy. And the two mm-hmm. of them helped to really bring awareness of trauma to the fire departments. And then that spread to the police officers and became a really became a movement in Fairfield County in a wonderful way of helping first responders recognize when they were having post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms and then also normalizing Excellent. using EMDR. So yeah, that's a very, oh, that's, a very positive that's wonderful. outcome. And we will talk about your videos in a, in a minute, but that's great that um, our listeners can look that up if they want to. That's yeah. really valuable. Um, so, so the process with EMDR, the thing I would add to that is that sometimes it can take many sessions to process a trauma and sometimes mm-hmm. just one. So it's, there are very clear ways to know if the, pro- if the trauma is fully processed and the therapist works with the client. And sometimes, again, it takes a few sessions. Sometimes it takes many sessions. Sometimes it takes just one. Sometimes people are like amazed how quickly it will clear. And sometimes people feel frustrated that it isn't clearing quickly enough. So mm-hmm. there's no you know, way to totally predict how somebody is going to process But the way that a therapist will know and the client will know whether it's processed is they will be able to bring up the memory without those physiological feelings that were being brought up when they first raised it. So the physiological Mm -hmm. upset in the current day will drop down close to a zero on that zero to 10 scale. And then there's a process of doing what we call a body scan, which is like, is there any physiological symptom left in your body when you think about this? And then let's process that and really go through it to make sure we clear it out. And the the general EMDR protocol is to clear out the earliest memory that relates to the current day problem. And then you might go through a handful of later memories, but generally once you get to the earliest memory and you can clear that, the other ones clear out much quicker. So as I'm listening to you, I'm curious to ask you a little bit about that experience that I went through without getting specific about it. Um, It was not about 
a specific trauma so much as, you know, trying to understand a nuance, um, a nuanced experience that I have in interpersonal relationships. And um, I asked my therapist afterwards, if I should expect to stop having that feeling. And although I did have a less of a physio- physiological response associated with the feeling, the feeling itself didn't go away. And she was explaining to me basically that um, that it was more about understanding where it comes from. And I'm not exactly sure what my question is, but <laughs> I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about that. And did understanding where it comes from help something shift for you? Absolutely. And did it help it shift in a way that you were able to handle those situations differently? Yes. And like I said, the feeling itself can still come up. Yeah. But yes, understanding where it comes from makes a big difference. And I think connected to that, I do have less of that physiological response. It's not always um, absent, but it's absent much more or it's much less. Yeah. So that sounds great. And and part of this is also when you get to the point where you feel like this is good enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, if, so it if, might if, make sense to keep going with it a little bit or, or sort of hit a different angle of it. If you find that this issue starts triggering you more and Mm -hmm. disrupting your serenity more, it might be worth going back and find, you know, redoing, redoing, just doing rechecking and just making sure it clears completely. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what you're also describing is a little bit where I was bringing in the CBT. So, okay. Yeah. Let's say it's somebody let's, I'm going to use a situation different from you, but let's say it's somebody who has social anxiety, right? And they had mm-hmm. a horrible experience being bullied in middle school, which is something I see a lot. And yeah, me too. you process those traumas in middle school and they drop down to a zero to a one. Unless that person begins to do behaviors that still might trigger some of that anxiety, but they do it anyway. And yes, think about it differently so that they can do it anyway. They may never fully recover because they're not behaving differently. So that CBT piece comes in where it sounds to me like what's happening with you is like the feeling comes up, but you're able to cognitively understand it differently and then possibly stay in relationship or not let it trigger whatever behaviors it used to trigger so you're mm-hmm. moving through the world differently exactly yeah perfect yeah yeah and then that moving through the world differently becomes reinforcing mm, okay so it can build upon itself it builds upon itself so for the person who's socially anxious and is avoiding certain social situations as an adult once they push themselves you know, they've recovered enough, they understand where some of this comes from, they push themselves to go through those situations and realize, okay, I'm not in danger here. And nobody's as mean as they used to be. Right? Mm-hmm. And even if they were, I'm okay, as I am, and mm-hmm. I can handle this, then that being able to handle it becomes reinforcing. Okay, wow. All right. So that gives us a really good 
picture of EMDR. Um, are there any disadvantages to it? I would say a disadvantage to EMDR is that it can be very intense. And if the person doesn't feel they can handle it and they drop it in the middle, that's not a good outcome. So that's where you want to really feel trust with your therapist. You want to really feel that this person has your best interest in mind and the therapist, I, I always, like if I'm, if I'm helping to supervise a therapist or if I'm working with somebody who had a prior experience with the therapist or is looking for a new therapist, the therapist should adapt to the client. So if the client's saying, this is too much, I can't handle this, back off. Let's try mm-hmm. something else. Let's resource differently. Let's approach it from a different point of view. So it should be a little bit of a dance in modulation between the therapist and the client. Yeah, so important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, terrific. Thank you. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your online presence with your YouTube videos, which I watched some of and I I found really well done and uh, had a lot of helpful information. And you also have online courses. Yeah, yeah. So... A little over a year ago, I decided to move my psychotherapy practice online, as well Mm -hmm. as build out some coaching programs, which would be group and can help more people. And as Mm -hmm. part of that, I started a YouTube channel. So the YouTube channel has videos about cognitive behavioral therapy. There's a video called How, How Does EMDR Work? Mm-hmm. You know, what is traumatic memory processing? So a lot of information that can help a wide range of people. And part of my motivation in doing this is I actually turn 60 next week. And Oh, happy yeah. birthday. That's a big <laughs> milestone. That's a big milestone. And I'm looking at that next stage of my life in terms of generativity. What can I give back? So part of what I'm doing online is really giving back. I have a number of free resources. And... Another piece of my story, which relates a little bit to EMDR, uh, because I did have to do a little bit of EMDR for myself when this happened, mm-hmm. but I was part of a large Buddhist community. I've been Buddhist for many years. I've been meditating for about 27, and I integrate that wow. into my work with people. Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, the head lineage holder it was revealed that he had been sexually assaulting and sexually abusing people. It's awful. It was awful. It was awful. And I was in the process of becoming trained as a teacher. I was very involved in the community and I really stayed around for a little while to advocate for doing the right thing for the victims making sure Mm -hmm. that this didn't happen again. Um, It was not just the senior lineage holder. It was supported by the organization. It was, it was beyond horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I began to have vicarious traumatization about the reports Mm -hmm. I read, even though it hadn't happened to me. So I, I went, you know, I did some EMDR myself as a client to really get those images out of my head and just basically mm-hmm. I, I began to have semi panic attacks because it's like, 
not I, I and this was not a person that I followed as a guru. It, it was not a tradition where where you held this person way above. For me, it was more mm-hmm. of the fact that the entire organ or, or so much of the organization had known about this behavior and done nothing about it. And then when it yeah, all, I can see that. Right? So this goes actually with your business, the second wound in terms of yeah. when families deny the experience of an abuse survivor or organizations deny it or society denies it, which, and all of those things happen. And enables so it often. as well. Enables it. Yeah. Well, the, and those go together, right? The denial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's happening and the enabling of it go together. So that was, you know, personally, I'd say it was a traumatizing event for me, but it also in a way like pulled the rug out from under me in terms of like, I was looking at my future of really becoming um, a meditation teacher within this tradition. So when that happened, I decided I still wanted to bring the power of mindfulness meditation to people. Yet I wanted to combine it with some of these psychotherapy techniques and tools and awareness mm-hmm. because I began to realize that what I was seeing in the meditation communities was no incorporation of trauma history, anxiety disorders, no adaptation for people who might be having these kind of experiences while trying to learn to meditate. And really a refusal to bring in other modalities. So what I, anyway, sort of a long story, but what I've created (laughs) online is an integrative method and I'm calling it the awaken joy method, an integrative method that brings in mindfulness meditation. I actually do bring in some EMDR in terms of helping people transform those negative core beliefs that develop through traumas or, you know, terrible experiences and also with the cognitive behavioral tools of, okay, to really heal and change, we need to change current day behavior as well as all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I integrate that all in my online courses. And I actually, I have a free Facebook group that your listeners would be welcome to check out if they were interested. It's called Awaken Joy, Empower Your Life. And okay. yeah, and um, in the Facebook group, I go live every Tuesday. I give meditation instruction. I talk about healthy boundaries, how boundaries tie to both mindfulness as well as self-esteem, self-awareness. I kind of incorporate all of this stuff together. Yeah, it sounds like a real holistic approach. Um, and I can put links to your work in the show notes. Um, I'd especially love to share that EMGR YouTube video with my listeners as well as Awaken Joy. Great. Um, yeah, terrific. Well, this yeah. has been enlightening. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure this information will be really valuable to my listeners. So I'm so glad you came on today. And thank you again for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. And thank you for the work you're doing, Miranda. It's, um, I don't know if you're listening, like, I don't think your listeners have heard, but I reached out to Miranda after seeing her Instagram account on the second wound. And I thought the stuff that she was posting was right on point, super important, really incredible. And I loved the focus on the 
trauma of your family system not supporting you because that mm-hmm. is a truth in the work that I do with people that sometimes worse than the actual trauma is the fact that their attachment figures didn't or won't support them. So I also want to just commend the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate your acknowledgement as well. Um, yeah, I, I hear from people practically every day saying the same thing. It's often even worse and we have less control over it and it doesn't have an end point. Um, so I, I'm happy to offer that service to people, but thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, it's Absolutely. been a pl- I'm glad you reached out. It's been a pleasure getting to meet you and have you on the show. Great. Thank you so much. We are all spending a lot of time at home these days. So how long has it been since you replaced your comforter? Well, we bought a brand new Buffy comforter and it made a huge difference, both in comfort level and also the bright and luxurious look of our bed. They call Buffy the world's softest comforter. And being a newish Buffy owner, I really have to agree. It feels so silky and makes bedtime an oasis from the stresses of the day. And it's good for the world because Buffy comforters are filled with breathable 100% eucalyptus fiber that's good for the environment and hypoallergenic so you don't have to worry about dust mites and mold. And unlike that cotton-stuffed or down-stuffed comforter that you're currently sleeping with, Buffy comforters are extremely breathable, keeping you comfy and cool all night without having to kick your comforter to the floor. Buffy even lets you try their comforter at home with free shipping and returns. It's truly a win-win scenario. If you don't love it, just ship it back. Now get a seven-day no-pay free trial if you just follow the link in the show notes to let Buffy know we sent you and to help support the show. Buffy, the softest comforter on the planet. Check out their sheets, pillows, and duvet covers too. Thank you for listening. Come back next episode to hear me speak with Poe Murray, chairperson of the Newtown Action Alliance, a grassroots group formed in the wake of the Sandy Hook tragedy and dedicated to reversing the escalating gun violence epidemic. If you are interested in my personal coaching services, you can read about them on the coaching page at secondwound.com. And to get in touch, email me at Miranda at secondwound.com or go to the contact page on the site. If you like the podcast and want to support it, you can give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And even easier, tell your friends. Original music for the Truth and Consequences podcast is composed and performed by my friend David Boyle. Thank you, Adam, for all the technical and emotional help and for making an amazing mojito.